talking logistics, man. Ready to talk logistics? But how? It can't be done. We should probably figure out some logistics. Today, supply chains are linear. So you have an input, you make some things, and you make a product or whatever that is, and then you generate waste in that process, and then you have an output for your customers. But in future, what we want to do is what when you are making that product, we want to make sure that you are making use of every single material that you use to make that product to the best way possible. And at the same time, the inputs or the waste that came out of that process either goes back into your supply chain or it goes back to someone else's supply chain. That's Neha Kumari, head of industry trends at the Circular Supply Chain Network. Circular supply chains are interconnected systems that use secondary and renewable inputs to generate value by reducing and then maximizing resource use. The Circular Supply Chain Network connects supply chain practitioners and thought leaders to explore how the supply chain can accelerate the transition to a circular economy. On today's episode, Sneha and I discuss how waste from one industry can be of value to another, the importance of failure mode and effects analysis, and ways in which you can turn your linear supply chain into a circular one. So circle up and let's explore what a circular supply chain looks like together. I'm your host, Alex Kent, Director of Sales at Stored, and this is Supply Chain Therapy. All right, I'm here today with Sneha Kumari, uh, Head of Industry Trends at the Circular Supply Chain Network. Thanks so much for joining us on Supply Chain Therapy. How are you today? Doing great and super excited to be here. Absolutely excited to be sharing on supply chains and circularity. Yeah, we're excited to have you. And you can tell by the eagerness that I'm pumped up. So let's just dive right in. In in 60 seconds or less, tell me what the Circular Supply Chain Network is. That's an amazing question. Um, (laughs) uh, But as the name says, Circular Supply Chains. So I definitely want to start there and then speak a little bit about our organization. Uh, What is a circular supply chain? I'm literally going to read out what it says on our website, which is they're interconnected systems that use secondary and renewable inputs to generate value while we are maximizing resource use. And um, what that means is waste becomes value in a circular supply chain and we maximize the life of every single input that goes in your supply chain. Who we are, we are an organization uh, that is super high on learning on what supply chain is and how supply chains can make circularity happen. We have tons of resources on our website. So feel free to check us out. We are on LinkedIn. We keep sharing resources and what all the other cool industries are doing in this space. We bring in some great minds across the world together on the same platform. We are a team of volunteers and uh, we have some cool courses out on our website. We have run some good hackathons bringing universities and companies together. So it's a lot of fun. Feel free to check us out. That's awesome. Yeah, definitely, definitely have checked that out already and, and encourage our listeners to. But dive a little bit uh, deeper on, on what circularity in the supply chain means and, and why is it important for our listeners to understand? In a circular supply chain, your waste will add more value and your every input that goes through it will have will be used to the max possible. And how do we make this happen? We will be definitely uh, you know partnering with our peer teams and also technology to make it happen happen. Today, supply chains are linear. So you have an input, you make some things, and you make a product or whatever that is, and then you generate waste in that process, and Mm -hmm. then you have an output for your customers. But in future, what we want to do is what when you are making that product, we want to make sure that you are making uh, use of every single uh, material that you use to make that product to the best way possible. And at the same time, the inputs 
or the waste that be, that came out of that process either goes back into your supply chain or it goes back to someone else's supply chain. And so what we don't want to do is taking materials from the planet, processing it and consuming them and make keeping it in the line. What we want to do is make it a circle or a loop where all this waste is being used by someone else or by yourself. And then, you know, that way you extend the life of the material so that every, every material has value and to the max extent possible. As the as the network has evolved, are you um, focused on a particular industry first, or are you looking at it and saying, "Here are the p- bits and pieces that we can start with"? Oh, we we are not really focusing on any industry. It could be CPGs, you could be doing textiles, you could be doing being fashion, you could be actually really heavy industrial goods mining. Circularity is not isn't a concept that's um, uh, specific to any industry. However, we as Circular Supply Chain Network, we have built a transition model. What that is is that tells you that guides industries on how to make your linear supply chain transition mm-hmm. to a circular supply chain, and it has uh, different phases that you could like uh, tap into. For example. You identify your waste and then you how you intensify, narrow, predict, slow, close. Like these are the seven phases that we talk about. And we have like ample details. I also, I mean, I meaning our network also has a toolkit that we are working on. We'll be releasing that soon where you could actually get some resources at hand that you could use some simple concepts like lean and kaizens and preventative maintenance, things like that, that you could say have low effort, medium effort, high effort activities that you could take at your disposal and see if you could implement it in your current supply chains and then move. I think that's the gap where, you know, industries are like, yeah, we love this concept, but where do we get started? Like Mm -hmm. who's going to help us out? And there's very little subject matter out there. And that's what we are trying to uh, be there. Like that's the gap we are trying to, you know, bridge. So, so bridging the, uh, I'll call it the educa- education gap and saying, hey, here are some resources available for you guys to, to focus on this and maybe take a, yeah. a crawl, walk, run approach on, on creating that circular supply chain, right? A- absolutely. Like it doesn't have, it's not rocket science. Trust me. If you are a manufacturing <laughs> company, you, you know lean, you are using Kaizen's. Like what's a, what's, what's a Kaizen? I mean, if you, if you do a value stream map, you are actually identifying waste, right? In circularity, you're monetizing waste. That's the difference. So you you already have some systems set up. Tap into those and slowly make that transition. Like there is no need to make this a philosophy and then think about it for years now. You could actually get started today if you want to do. Right, and I'm sure there's you know economic financial benefits to having a, a creating that circular network. Right? Can you can you speak a little bit about that and what and what the major brands that you guys are working with are are seeing? Yes, absolutely. So. Um, I think as a business, one of the um, gaps that industries have been facing, like, hey, I have to run a business, but I also want to be, uh, you know, making sure that while I'm incorporating circularity or maybe sustainable processes, how do I make sure that I'm also running a profitable business, right? And so in, in circular supply chains, when I said, like, for example, if you're using secondary materials, you have those materials coming back into so automatically you are if so for example now you will be going to secondary markets for procurement right mm-hmm. so instead of going for virgin materials you're actually looking for let's take an example for example a textile industry right uh, i'm making bags some handbags what if i go to a fruit based 
industry and tap into their waste and see how I can bring those materials, uh, those are waste of an industry, and bring it in and see if I could use them to manufacture my bags. There might be um, some cost of making sure that, you know, they are at a state that could be usable Mm -hmm. to make my purses. But uh, that's an investment that we'll have to think of. But then how also that price, you could also then you make sure your price point reflects that. And the more and more, I mean, I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but we have seen during, especially during after, during and after pandemic, that consumers are more conscious about the products that they're buying. Where are they? Where am I buying for? For example, if I'm buying the packaged fruits, it goes all around the world before it comes to me. Right. Uh, Right. Like, does does it need to be had to have a passport? I don't think so. (laughs) Go, you know, buy some local fruits, some seasonal fruits, and enjoy them. So things like that. Like consumers are more conscious now, and um, and the need is that we start like you know running this talk and not just talk about it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, thinking of the industry trends, what do you think is driving the consumer to be more conscious about what they're buying and where it's coming from? Let's just start with you know the whole pandemic scene where every supply chain was constrained. And to be honest, like I'm just sure if you uh, if you would agree with me before pandemic, I really had people come up to me and uh, have me explain them what supply chain was. <laughs> yeah, but, I've definitely but, had those conversations. But now, <laughs> But during during the pandemic, I'm super glad that, you know, everyone knows that term, right? And everyone kind of gets where, what we are doing. And the best part was, you know, we have the government speaking about it. We had the funding coming in in this. And so all that, because we were short of things that we needed, there was a huge shortage of uh, something as common as toilet papers. And there were a lot of other commodities that we were, and we are still struggling. For example, very recently, the um, the uh, shortage of baby food, mm-hmm. right? Something as important. So this whole supply constraint has now reached to the consumer. Like they are looking at it firsthand. They know there is a problem, even though they are not from that field. And so that awareness was important. And then the whole, you know, awareness of um, being like, you know, being environment conscious, like look at the uh, changes, the climate changes that we are going through, um, like literally in California right now, we are going through a heat wave this week. And um, over the years, we are seeing the impact. I think the consumers are aware of what's going on right around them right now. How is it impacting the environment? And plus, they they want to be uh, make sh- especially the you know upcoming generations. They want to live, uh, make sure that the whole planet is a better place to live in. And so you know, we they want to know where their items came from, and they are willing to pay a few dollars extra. I'm not saying that thrift fashion is not going to go. It's going going. It's going away. No, there there's still you know a section of people who want that. Maybe a bigger section, but the awareness has started. People want to know what's going on, especially because of the shortages and the stockouts that they have faced and learned a little more about what goes to bring that food on your table uh, at the grocery store as well. That's right. And speaking of the shortages, I think one of the funniest questions that we got all too often was, hey, Alex, why why are we out of baby formula? Why are we out of bread? At the, why can't I go to the grocery store and pick up bread? I'm sure you got some of those conversations as well. It's, uh, it's yeah, it's really crazy. Like initially we used to like, I come from manufacturing, right? And so those were like limited to the screws and the bolts and the valves and whatnot like now it's like a day-to-day life being impacted that's right. and that's where the whole awareness came from yeah well it's it's good that everyone is aware of it and and you know I, we certainly appreciate it being in the supply chain industry because it gives us something to talk about at parties right yeah, absolutely what would you do if katie Couric called you at work and told you that your logistics company was breaking the law 
This is a totally true and completely terrifying tale, which you can read in our ebook, Scary Supply Chain Stories to Tell in the Dark. Grab a free copy at store.link scary and get ready to sleep with the lights on. And now, back to the episode. <laughs> Moving into the next segment, all about challenges. Houston, we have a problem. As someone who leads new product introductions, what's the most difficult stage of getting products to a customer launch? Uh, so many. My God, where do I start? Uh, you know, NPIs are really challenging, especially if you're doing maybe your first orders look pretty big, huge, mm-hmm. right? And then, you know, getting to that prototyping stage and then getting to your customers, knowing the need. So I, I follow usually uh, two different methods. It could be a waterfall model and how you manage your overall program and then launch your product. Uh, so the typical initiation and, you know, initiation yeah, pro- planning, execution monitor control and then you also have this iterative method where you're doing smaller sprints and then trying to either um, modify your existing product so mm-hmm. kind of a new product but it's more building on top of it so the two uh, two different things that I have uh, typically used in my past experience but you know just talking about challenge long any program in itself has like for me has never been like oh i plan to launch on 17th of this and boom everything went well everyone was on time it never happens like that there's always roadblocks you always do retrospectives understand what the problems were define your learnings and then you know build on uh onto it um i would say like for me um uh change management has been by far the biggest um struggle with not only just launching but also sustaining your processes mm-hmm. like when you launch a new product there are certain set of set of new processes that come with it right so i mean honestly i can like literally walk you through the whole like uh, gamut of things that goes into this like uh, but just really quick we start with procurement for example right and then um you look at who are your new suppliers that you need to onboard right from a quality standpoint how soon and then it cannot be just one vendor that you're looking and doing RFQs with you need to look at like a set of whatever 5 10 15 and then um you know and then they come in and then the, you do your uh, RFPs you bring you know you select some of them that matches your cost and whatnot all of that and then you they have to come on board and learn your policies and your ways of work and your agreements and all of that and then you go to the production Team, right and then all of these new vendors are now feeding into a specific new process that needs to be worked of by your local production team wherever that is stationed locally offshore whenever right and then you might have some tweaks there and so there that's where the problem comes in because mm-hmm. then you want to understand hey do they understand why are we making this change for example like i'll give you a quick example you are making a change from batching to one piece flow right, right. And so how are you managing that? Like, there will be questions like, why are we going to, you know, why are we not going to do batching? Everyone has opinions. Like people have been here for, uh, you know, years. And so they might have some valid inputs. That's where the change management comes in. That's where it's hard. And you have to make sure that this core team is represented within your whatever program product you're launching, right? You have to have representation. Make sure you and they understand the motive, why this change. And then, you know, it is easier for you to sustain audit, 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 always. You right. have to audit your processes, your metrics, making sure that it's, you know, um, it's in line. And it could be, you know, two months, three months, six months, whatever your guidelines are, however you feel comfortable to make sure that these challenges um, 
are being, you know, taken care of. And then eventually your fill rate or your on time, whatever your topmost metric is quality fill rate, on time delivery, whatever that is, you are set in meeting that, uh, especially, you know, making sure all of these uh, processes uh, orchestrate perfectly, suppliers coming in, us managing our demand planning, the models are set up, the production meeting the demand, and then giving, setting your first production run out to your customer and making sure all of this is understood, documented, and making that happen is like the, the, uh, the challenge that I have had so far. I mean, it sounds simple the way you explained it. There's, there's nothing that can go <laughs> wrong, right? I, what, what's the biggest challenge after that, right? So you launch a new product, you say it's six, 12, 18 months, you scale it, the product goes crazy, consumers love it. What's the next challenge? Increasing productivity, increasing production? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so as I said, like change management was hard and say you conquered it, say, you know, everything went well and your, you know, your team is on board with however you're managing the new process and your customer loved the product. But then, as I said, audit, like, you know, you had on-time delivery goals with your customer. Right. You had a quality delivery goals that you had to sustain and your cost, let's not forget, like that's very important, right? That impacted bottom line. And so if there are changes, for example, like a very simple example could be a tier two supplier came back and said that there is machinery down, which impacted your tier one supplier. And now you are not here. You are here. You, you have a second uh, production order on your way. And so what you need, what do you, what, what sources, what, what do you do? And so that's where you're, you know, um, sorry, I use jargons here, but failure mode effect analysis. So mm-hmm. we do process failure mode effect analysis, design failure mode effect analysis. That's where that comes in handy. But you have done your risk assessments. You know, these are the failure points in your system. And what were the mitigation um, strategies? Like, for example, in this case, did you have a secondary supplier? Versus, did you have a secondary local supplier? If this was offshore, how will you bridge that lead time? How will you communicate to your customers? Will that impact your on-time delivery? Is is it going to hurt you? Bad, good. So things so things go wrong all the time. And so that's where, you know, the whole failure mode effect analysis, risk assessment review right. doc really comes in handy. I'm interested in how you approach diversification among suppliers, you know, given that risk assessment and that risk mitigation plan that, that you're putting in place on a new product launch. Uh, there's so many um, <laughs> strategies that goes into that, right? It's not just, especially hard with new products. For example, like uh, if you have a sustaining business, you have a pool of suppliers, like the 80-20 spend, you have 80% right. spend going into your 20, 25, whatever that strategic supplier is. And then you have a tailspin of suppliers. You always manage your strategic suppliers pretty through your scorecards and all of that. You have annual strategies happening where you're looking at cost and whatnot and, you know, whatever projects are. Um, I, I It's funny you bring this up and I'm really interested in, um, sharing this like before pandemic and actually before tariffs you remember the first time the tariffs was were introduced yeah and how like the bo- big bonkers was it 2018 yeah, like, it was crazy it was no it was it was 2018 it was 2018 yeah, because I, that's when yeah that's when i had my first one and so i remember how <laughs> hard it was for me to be a new mom and managing all these challenges yeah so that like literally we went bonkers, right? And so then we were doing all these strategies, but then, you know, the it, it impacts everything downstream, upstream, uh, one change, right? Um, like you were talking about diversification. Sorry, I got off topic. Um, so then our strategies are, okay, do we have a pool of suppliers, right? Uh, who are my second resources for especially the sole source and single source items? That's mm-hmm. very, that has to be clearly identified. And there's a difference between, by the way, single sourcing and sole sourcing. Sole sourcing could be as, as hard as you spent into your vendors and there's no way you can find someone else to design that product for you. Single sourcing is because you don't have, you had, you hadn't taken effort to go out, find someone. Right. And so having, 
removing those barriers from your overall vendor pool is the first and foremost thing. That's your risk assessment right there. Take it seriously. It's not just like, it's not a statement. I have seen companies ignoring, uh, uh, we just go after cost, cost, cost. But right. uh, no, there has to be a strategy of assessing your risk. And this is where it ties to the whole concept of circular supply chains, where we say have function in smaller circles, meaning go local. It's it's easy to say, by the way. I know that. I understand that. <laughs> I, I have been there. But, you know, fun- have your local, uh, local vendors, because then that reduces the bumps uh, that you can have in terms of risks. Your lead time to your customer goes down as well. Yes, it could be expensive and there are items that you cannot, but try to be close. Like working in smaller loops is very important as a huge message in a circular supply chain world. For new product, uh, specifically, as I said, like when we're, when we're doing our RFPs with vendors, we want to make sure that we are looking at a good pool. Like I'm not going to just two vendors and hey, just oh, you are great. Let's come on board. Like we do like 15 to 20 RFPs. Make sure right that they are vetted out. They meet our quality. We always have to have our secondary backup, both local and offshore, before you before we make that decision. So, I mean, these are part of the risk assessment process that we take. You know, we we talk a lot about the three PL world, right? And and you, you can pick two out of the three: speed, price, and quality, right? And I, it sounds very familiar to some of your strategy on diversification when you're going through a, an RFQ or an RFP with twenty different suppliers. I mean, what are you looking for? Is it you know I'm going to take two of the three, or I'm going to try and find uh, you know, 75% of all three, or um, I'm sure it comes down to, you know, all three of those aspects, right? Yeah, it, you, this is great, by the way, you just uh, touched on a great um, um, topic. Yes, it is. We have to touch, I mean, speed, quality, cost, they matter. They All three of them matter. But then I would say, what's the goal? Like, for example, I was leading one NPI where speed mattered versus the cost, right? Mm. You have this whole triangle, right? Where you have looking at time, quality, cost, and all of, uh, you know, the overall budget and everything. But then... It's about what's your um, what's your business model, right? It goes back to that. In some cases, your product quality might matter because you might be the you know you might be competing over. Uh, you might be the first one venturing into this whole new technology right. world. And I've, I have had that those products. That's where it's very important. That, then that ties back into my supplier KPIs, right. right? It has to tie back. My business goals has to tie back to what my how am I assessing my vendors and are they able, like, am I doing, like, my, um, I will have very strict controls uh, around what my specifications are. Are the suppliers being vetted, like, uh, when they did the first, you know, uh, F, uh, first press yield, how is that looking like? And then in, from a speed standpoint, for example, if I'm competing with competitors that I can get you this product sooner, then time matters. And then that time matters impacts my vendor's case also. But then, you know, um, when we are looking at, uh, you know, upstream vendor standpoint, we could change our replenishment model based on that. So I'm just, I, what I'm trying to say is your business goals and how your business model is set up for the product, whatever you're launching, really bo- brings you down to understanding how will you manage your supplier stream and what measures will you put in place to audit them, measure them before they bring them, before you bring them on board. So you're you're essentially taking a, a top-down approach, starting with the business plan, right? And then working starting, your way down exactly. and then you build back up. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's pretty much starting with your customers' needs yeah. and just work backwards. I'm, I'm just always with that mentality. That's awesome. All right. Well, we could stay on this topic for forever, but we do have to continue <laughs> moving. Favorite segment, moving on yes. to the venting couch. So talk, vent. Come on, vent. Go ahead, vent. I just needed to vent. Where'd you vent? Vent your frustrations. 
We all have had traumatic experiences when it comes to logistics. Doesn't have to be that way. If you're ready to heal your relationship with your supply chain, check out store.com to learn more. And we're here. I'm so interested to hear this because I'm sure it's crazy. But what is the craziest story from your career that, that you want to vent about today? So many, right? Um, <laughs> I wish we had like an hour just just to vent about, you know, the, this is the beauty of being in supply chain. We are never bored. There's That's always right. something new. You can never be a know-it-all here, like no matter how many years you spend in, in this industry. So that keeps me going. Uh, it can be frustrating. I, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm just being transparent here. One of the many such stories that I've experienced that I would like to share was around, of course, COVID. Of course, all of our nightmares have come, um, you know, have seen the reality during COVID. And so while, you know, many markets were seeing a slump in the demand, I'm sure in automotive and all of that, some, uh, one market that really picked up demand was medical market. Right? Mm-hmm. They were really picking up. There was so, there was so, I mean, we need that sector needed help. And one of um, my potential customers was um, there in that market, something that we had never ventured before. And potentially we had to be, uh, you know, supplying to that. And there was a good demand that we could tap into. And of course, why not? Why wouldn't you want to tap into uh, some something super new, something super um, even like, you know, nobly you would like to be part of uh, being supporting that industry at the time that we were there Um, we saw suddenly the demand like super increase like twofold something that we hadn't expected of course none of us were prepared we can never be prepared for a pandemic no Uh, we all were learning and so the only learning that i've gotten from the pandemic is you know how do we how do we be resilient how do we manage our risks we can never plan for an event like that ever um and so the, of course, the burden of, you know, demand going up, always the execution burden always comes back to supply chain and operations. Everyone else has done that, but then we make it happen. We run the show, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so not to forget, you know, you have, we had offshore suppliers that were in the same boat as everyone else, right? Because uh, all these ripples that we had was both downstream and upstream and the dependency um dependent of our dependency on offshore vendors wasn't the best plan that we had and we literally had about just i would say four to six weeks to make sure that we had to get things done we had to send the prototype out make sure that it was confirmed and with the market that i'm talking about the quality burdens increases even more because there are multiple steps of uh verification that needed to be happened so i think that what was frustrating about it was there were days where we were sitting and we really didn't know how to navigate all of this with the time crunch that we had. That was super frustrating. But then also the good part was the team came together. Right. Like we all knew that we wanted to make this happen, not just for, say, for our business, for our company, for people out there who needed the product that I am speaking about. And so here... Uh, I had to work with our commodity managers to make sure that they made the relationship magic work. We went out there. We literally like had go had us go in the local vendors and see um, what we could do, how we could help them. Like we were partners, like us, and then our vendors. We were partners. We did more shifts. We had to be making sure that you know physical distancing was a big deal, right? Like we cannot just could not just you know manufacture the way we were. Everyone was scared. People didn't want to come in like there were so many hurdles that we had to cross and bridge to make this happen it was like it's mind-boggling now that i you know think about it and i'm talking about it like figuring the capacity needs and then making sure that the quality is taken care of and then all of that 
I one thing that uh, kept me um, going, I would say, through all of this was the um, passion of my cross-functional team to make yeah. it happen. That made it happen, and then and when I'm saying it's not just my company, my vendors, the partners that we are working with, um, and then also like using like rolling your sleeves and getting things done. Like at the time, you are not just sticking behind your screens and trying to, you know, make numbers uh, work. No, you're actually right there, even trying to help out and see even your vendors at their locations. Can we help out? Can we do this? Can we do that? Like brainstorming like crazy, putting cameras up, doing virtual Gemba walks, like innovation, what was at its peak. Right. So, uh, so I mean, it was a huge learning and we, we sustained a lot of that learnings eventually. And we are still using it. So long-winded answer, This it was mind-boggling, but I'm sure many of us can relate to what I'm talking about overall. No, and I think, you know, how you got through it, right? I mean, we we always joke, like, the journey is the most fun part and, and the most challenging part, but it's not about the end destination actually doing it. It's like, hey, we're going to roll up our sleeves. We're all going to come together. We're going to work with the vendors. We're going to work with cross-functional team, and and this is what we're going to do because people need us, right? And, and that's the most rewarding piece yeah. of it. It's not being done with it. It's knowing that you're working and making an impact. Yes, absolutely. And by the way, we did make it happen. We were late by a week or something, so not too bad. We did make it happen. A week in pandemic times is nothing, right? Nothing. Yeah, we did make it happen. Uh, That's awesome. All right, moving on to the the future here. Let's keep it rolling. What steps can an organization, a company take from transitioning from a linear supply chain to a more circular model? What what is that first step? Is it? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, And um, something that's super close to me. I think I touched about it a little bit in 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 like in my in our previous questions, but I'll start here. Like, uh, I know many industries do not know where to start. And I, that's why I want to keep it simple because mm-hmm. I am a person who knows supply chain simply. These are the concepts. How can I make use of the tools that I have at hand and see if I can go to a circular model? And I, as I said, it doesn't have to be complicated. Little changes in whatever role you are in can collaborate to make a difference here. Um, for example, many, I would say, again, I'm coming back to manufacturing. Sorry, I'm just so stuck there with my experience. But they 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 know about, you know, lean and the Toyota management system. And mm-hmm. what is lean? It's As I said, it's about minimizing waste, finding and minimizing waste. And I said, circularity is about monetizing waste. It's cool, right? In yeah. essence, you know what lean is and you already are doing a lot of it. So now you just have to tweak a little bit and then move to a circular model. Let's say, for example, procurement folks out there. Uh, our year-over-year strategy, as I said, has always been to reduce costs. And, of course, thanks to pandemic, we have been talking about risks a little bit now. So that's a good part of our commodity strategy or category planning, whatever you're doing. And I'm super happy about it, by the way. Now, let us add another one to it, which is sourcing of secondary materials. Mm-hmm. You are a procurement professional. You have a strategy and goal of reducing waste. How about us, like whoever is sitting in the C-suite and whatever whoever is your champion of managing uh, your circularity goals, making sure that you're going circular, add this small um, goal to your procurement, for your procurement dreams, meaning the percentage of materials of your overall spend should be coming from secondary, whatever that percentage Mm -hmm. makes sense to you, whatever that is. It it could be cheaper for you to do that. uh, And also a way for you to convert waste from some of the industries that might add value to you that you you didn't even know that it was possible. And trust me, it is possible. I gave I gave us all an example, and 
So it's important that we look around ourselves more. Um, the operations and quality folks can actually work to see how they can convert our scrap. I, I'm sure uh, we would have heard about scrap, whatever waste that comes out of your production facilities. How we could put that back on your, uh, like, can you assess those scrap? Do you have a team that will uh, look into that and will prevent, um, can some of these be tweaked and put back? to be uh, bring it back to your production stuff. And so you're not buying unnecessary inventory. Look at your excess and obsolete inventory. Look at your shrink. Can you check that and see if you could put bring it, bring something again back to your inventory? And um, truly work with your peer teams, work with sales, work with marketing, SNOP, sales and operations planning is a huge part That's of right. um, making sure that we all are talking together. But I, but think about what I just mentioned. These are like small things, even from a logistics standpoint, since you touched upon that. Um, uh, are we tapping into any kind of, you know, EVs? I say that it might be a super far-fetched goal for some of, you know, some of our older industries. But then you don't have to even look look at that. Do you measure your carbon footprint? If you do, look at the ways you could actually partner with your logistic providers and they could actually tell you how they could look into and optimize their network planning mechanism and reduce that carbon footprint slowly. And also like, right. you know, can you go local? If you can, let's try to do that. If not local, you know, near sourcing is the right word. How you could make that happen? What are the inputs? Always look at landed costs, not just, you know, your tra transportation costs. So those are some of the small things that we could look at just to see how we could um, move from a linear to a circular model. I mean, all of those are small things, but they all add up eventually, right? And I think one of the things you, you wrote about in a, a LinkedIn article, you, you one sentence really stood out and it's waste from one industry can be of value to another industry. Can you talk a little bit more about that for the listeners and, and kind of explain what you're, what you're leaning on there? Yeah, no, absolutely. When I when I'm looking at a circular supply chain, there are a few characteristics that I look at, which is being lean. Um, how are you managing that? And then um, how are you managing your waste? How are you making things visible in your supply chain? How are you predicting demand? Are you going regional? And how are you being flexible? So these are some components that we look at when we are talking about um, circular supply chains. What in what I did, what I wrote in that article was more about designing for circularity. Mm -hmm. Meaning, yes, waste from one industry is a you know is value to the other industry. But then also, um, I wanted to make sure that I tapped into this, which was how do you actually start be proactively looking at it? Meaning, you design your product that way that it will in, that it will talk about it will be ready to plug into secondary uh, materials, meaning um, uh, for like for even from a design standpoint, right? Let me give you a very, um, very small example. Today we have like quality um, measurements, specifications, right? right? Tomorrow, how about working with your customers and seeing if you could open that specifications a little bit, what impact that could have uh, overall on your customers, wherever your product is being installed or used at, and can that open you up in your design to make use of more off-the-shelf products than actually going to your vendors and looking for customized screws? Like really, truly right. it happens, right? And I understand if you're in aerospace space and defense and there are a lot of, you know, specifications that I understand. But what I'm saying is don't shy away in having that conversation. Like, okay, we have done it this way. We have had these specifications for hundreds of years. So why would I change That's it? Right. Um, 
this specifically was talking about this process was actually like Dell has done like super something super cool. What they did was in they had a new process in which um, they were benchmarking like about 200 types of material combinations with convert conversions. And they like literally played around this model and they tr- came up with this reclaimed carbon. So something that was used before they they were, re, uh, they were that was reclaimed carbon fiber and what they would do is they would take a non-woven carbon fiber and then put it in the middle of uh, a woven carbon fiber and this mm-hmm. pretty much just changed the whole lcd cover that resulted in 18 percent of recycled content and wow. made it even lighter so what i'm saying is let's be innovative like we can make things happen with secondary materials we just have to put more thought into it we need our r&d team looking into it use ai like sorry ai is a bigger term i know that <laughs> but if you have data, if you are looking into your past trends and things like that, we have tech today that we could leverage upon and um, see how we could start thinking from thinking about circularity from a design standpoint, not like uh, not not just be reactive in our processes. That's right. And you've touched on it a little bit, but I'm, I'm interested, right? What does the next 10 years of supply chain look like? Like what's the biggest oh, change I'm, I'm that being... we're going to see or what what should we want to see in the in the supply chain industry? There are like reports from McKinsey and everyone also talking about how supply chains of 2030s will be different. But imagine taking 50 sources, 50 vendors down to two or three or five, uh, seven assembly processes down to probably one. And now like today, we today we track all of this, uh, all of your sources, all of your demand, all of your processes, we track all of it. And we know that something is going to be late. But then you have uh, some technologies like additive engineering and mm-hmm. you bring that in and now you're able to change how these parts look. And that will also result in like, say, for example, lightweight products for aviation, which means you will take less fuel to run your plane. And so right. endless benefits, right? I understand there are several challenges with additive manufacturing, of course. I, you know, I, I am not saying, but but we are tackling that as a global community. And so the benefits of being able to simplify our supply chain is super exciting and that exactly should be the passion um that that should fuel us to go look into circular supply chains right imagine living in a world where you do not have to run after your forecast and hope hope your order makes it to your customer right right? that will that's going to change because now you are working in smaller circles you are probably more closer to each other right and so and then you're also bringing your items like you're tapping into other industries base you have more source of materials coming into and feeding your supply chains and so for example like we print a spare part right next to the operations that needs it when it needs it if it's a flow spare it might like today if it it might take you a sometimes even like six months right. um, to make something if you're not able to procure it if we can make this happen like literally come closer uh, textiles can be made to order where we are starting, we are actually starting to see it, uh, different models that we are running. We predict that more of this will happen in future, which means our manufacturing and the supporting processes behind it will need to shift quite a bit. With food and beverage, it's kind of interesting what the potential is, but literally like this sounds crazy, but I'm sure it sounds, it must be pleasing to your ears to be living in a world without forecast. If we don't need forecast for the zillions of nodes in our supply chain, we will not see obsolescence, which means you will actually have reduced the pull on our planet, right? Better planning can lead to better outcomes for sustainability. And if we have put, if you like come closer to the point of use, um, this might happen. It is exciting. 
We'll find out in 2030. <laughs> we'll find out. And it's, you know, innovation is, is obviously the word that's thrown out a, a ton. But I think with innovation comes communication, comes partnership and uh, collaboration, really, with, with all your vendors and working with them downstream and upstream. Uh, we, we do have to wrap up here. We could keep going for forever. But let's wrap up with some quick hitters. Favorite hobby? I know you're a mother, so I think you may go here. If not, hopefully your kids won't <laughs> listen to this, but favorite hobby outside of innovating supply chains? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, no hobby really, trust me, and have no time with supply chains being uh, one job and then managing two kids being the other job. That's I right. really like my constant goal is to be enjoying what I'm doing, even as a mother, as a supply chain professional. So spending time with family, actually finding time to spend that is a constant goal that I try to accomplish every day. That's awesome. Last thing you bought online? Oh, last thing. <laughs> Probably something uh, for my kids. Um yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah, actually. Yeah, I did. I did. Uh, I'm actually prepping for someone's birthday. So yeah, I did. Very that. nice. <laughs> Very nice. Best professional advice you have ever received? Never stop learning. Uh, yes, we have jobs. We will have life happens like things happen. Never stop being a student. Um, and change is good. Uh, for the most part, it's good. Uh, we have to adapt. Um, so embrace it. Yeah. Well, that's a wrap. Thank you, Sneha, for, for joining us today on Supply Chain Therapy. This was super fun and, and super insightful. So thanks again. Thank you so much for having me. You had some amazing questions. I truly, <laughs> thoroughly enjoyed, enjoyed doing this episode. Awesome. Thanks so much. Know anyone who needs Stored's help? We have a new referral program where you could earn $5,000. Go to stored.link slash referral to submit and learn more. Ever wonder what a circular supply chain is and would like to take the simplest yet super informative course on this topic? Without further delay, head over to members.circularsupplychain.network slash course slash circular supply chain introduction. This course explores the critical role of supply chains in a circular economy. Supply chains are essential for sustainable development. And this course brings you videos with many inspiring examples and a challenging quiz at the end of each part. Thanks for listening to this episode of Supply Chain Therapy, a podcast brought to you by Stored. Make your supply chain a competitive advantage. Go to stored.com to learn more.